Hey everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes Anime Blast. My name is John, and with me is my good friend... Johnny Funami. And we have just finished experiencing the Cruel Angels thesis. And it was kind of emo. Yeah, it was. But yes, we, we sat down and watched uh, about the first third of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And, and this is in preparation for it dropping on Netflix at the end of June. And, well, I've seen the show way too many times, so of course I like it. The, the intro is really nice to look at, too. Well, what's cool about that intro is it seems like it's a lot of weird random images and occasional clips that end up being from the show. But then as you watch the series, more and more of it makes sense. And it starts, like, you kind of see that they had so much thought out at the beginning that it's like, oh, I understand why they, why they word Adam pops up. Oh, I understand this little test pattern, what, is, what that's supposed to be, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, no, that's very good stuff. Well, I think we should probably first start, if you've never seen this show, what is Neon Genesis Evangelion? Basically, it's this anime that ran from uh, late 95 through 96. It's produced by the studio Gynex, which did other animes such as this great film called Wings of Oneamis, uh, this amazing show called Nadia, Secret of the Blue Water. Uh, more recently, they did a show called Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt, which is hilarious and very, very dirty. Uh, Gurren Lagann, <laughs> which is extremely popular. And if you watch anything on Adult Swim, you've definitely seen probably the most recent breakout hit, which was Fooly Cooly. Oh, yeah. And the series is directed by uh, Hedeki Ano, who was like, he, he was one of the animators on the original Macross series. He did work with uh, Studio Ghibli with Grave of the Fireflies. And most one of the more recent ones was the uh, more recent uh, Godzilla film, uh, Shin Godzilla. Which I love. Studio Gainax does amazing work. Ano is, is very good at his job. I mean, it's just starting out, Evangelion is a classic for a reason. It is a deep philosophical show that also has giant robots punching giant monsters. It is, in my opinion, it's it's a perfect fusion of all that. It's it's really, really good. And that's what, what made me like it too. Now, I have not seen it that many times. As a matter of fact, this is literally my second viewing so far of the series. And in doing so, I've realized that I did not really complete the series. There was a lot of episodes I, I didn't watch. So this is going to be fun and good. And it's nice to revisit it. But yeah, it, it has everything that I love. Um, you know, giant robots smashing things around, fighting giant monsters. It has that all that good stuff that you love from Japanese cinema in general. And it just has that very deep biblical lore. And I love that when that is thrown into science fiction. I, I, I just think that's amazing. One of the things that I kind of liked about The Matrix too, just not to go off topic too much, but that that really pulled from that kind of stuff too. And, and it, this is a great series. I, I love it. And that's part of the thing is this show is filled with tons of Judeo-Christian and Kabbalic imagery and all these concepts. And yet, according to uh, the the assistant director on the show, uh, Kazuya uh, Surumaki, this was basically just there to kind of set it apart from other giant robot shows. Because, (laughs) especially at the time, you did kind of have an influx of these things. And it had itself a gimmick. But, I mean, it manages to uh, delve into the nature of man's relationship with God. We yeah. have references to Adam, Eve, Lilith, the spirit of uh, Longinus, uh, the Magi, Hell. The Tree of Sephiroth is a, not a, I don't want to say a big part of this, 
but it's in the title sequence. It shows up in various places. Yeah. It's there's a lot of imagery there. Mm-hmm. Plus, we also mentioned it's kind of it's this philosophical piece because it's about uh, individuality and freedom, consciousness, but it's all seen through this like existential lens. Yeah, and yeah, and, and it's it's through through the eyes of a young young person growing up and seeing the world for themselves and experiencing these things and becoming you know who he is and all of them really and but it's just like we do as we grow up so there's a a good tie into this show and i like when shows can not just introduce characters that are cool and wow and you know that's that's a neat guy or girl but when you can grow with a character through the show and experience those experiences with them that sets a show apart for me especially in an anime because it doesn't always happen you know animes tend sometimes to more so than not it's just the you know hey i'm the super cool guy that can do everything and there's not a lot of heart to them and some of them but this show has a lot of heart and Definitely one of the animes that I, I love, as you know, especially from last episode, we talked about how I've never been a huge hardcore guy in anime, and there's only been a few that have sparked me. And this this one was the first series that I watched that I really got into. Now, technically it would be Robotech, but that was a little different. You know, I didn't watch it regularly, and I was just catching it on a you know Monday morning or something before school. But this series, as, a, as an adult, and I was in my late 20s, I watched this, and I loved it. Yeah, and that's... That's the, one of the big things about this show is, yes, it it's a show where giant, like I said, giant robots punch giant monsters in the mush. There's there's a lot of, there's, you know, you can easily, if you just see like a simple trailer, you know, just all you're seeing is the action sequences of this, you can easily uh, dismiss this as just kind of, oh yeah, it's an action cartoon, there's nothing there. And there, there are things about this show where, yes, they are cost-cutting measures where, I can show you a scene. There's like scenes in the show where literally nothing happens. Like, yeah. Uh, in one of the, one of the episodes, there's a shot that goes on for about like a straight minute of Asuka and Ray in an elevator. Yep. And all the only sounds and the only sounds there are just like the elevator ticking. They're not moving. They're not talking. No one's really doing anything. It and it's a minute of screen time. Yep. But at the same time, you sit there and look at what happens before and after in the relationship between these characters and. It makes sense. It's a quiet moment. Yeah. They are not, these are not friends. They're co-workers, essentially. And and especially kind of jealous co-workers. One mostly more than the other. The other's kind of oblivious to most things. Right. But, uh, yeah, there's like so much, you know, it's like we could spend just an entire hour just talking about the philosophical uh, things of this show. Like, I'll do one simple one in that, well, simple with quotations. <laughs> uh, the existentialist thought of existence precedes essence, which is an idea conceived by Jean-Paul Sartre. Basically, it's that people need to know that they are independently acting and responsible conscious beings, uh, quote, the existence, and not what your label, role, or any kind of preconceived category you fit into is, right. the, or essentially your essence. Now, as annoying as, you, as people might find Shinji in this show, and a lot of that is to blame from the English voice acting, not so much the Japanese one, because the actor who, who plays Shinji in the US dub is very loud and grating. Mm. It's, it works, it works in, in many things, but Shinji, as his character, is very much the embodiment of this ideal. He is a character who is spending the entire time thinking that he is what people perceive him to be 
and his his role in existence. He's a he's the pilot of this robot. He's you know this doesn't believe he is anything beyond what his what this minuscule role is, as right. opposed to him actually being a person. Hell, people complain about the last two episodes basically being you know esoteric nonsense, but that's the core of Shinji's entire storyline. Everything that that this entire fight-filled anime is about is actually those last two episodes. It's just, again, I, we mentioned it last in the last episode when we kind of delved a little bit into this where they kind of ran out of money. So <laughs> I'm sure they could have come up with a far more visually interesting version of that, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's still a great thing. And then instead we also have the movie ending, which is more fighting and a lot more esoteric nonsense. Right, right. And, and, and see, those are the things that I'm looking forward to because I have a vague memory of those. I don't remember too much, and I'm looking forward to this, this revisit. And uh, well, you know, I haven't mentioned, actually, it's, it's coming to Netflix. Yeah, it's uh, end of June, uh, what, the 21st or something like that, maybe a little later, but in and yeah. around then. Yeah, so it's a good time if you haven't actually seen it or, or always wanted to see it and only caught part of it like I have. <laughs> Check it out. I can't wait. I wonder... Because I, I know there's there's differences, you know, to the originals versus re-releases. I wonder what it's going to be. Uh, the original distributors, uh, this group called ADV, yeah, apparently oh, for their 2004 release on on DVD, they ended up of giving giving the money to go back and kind of re-edit and add things to some of the final episodes. So I don't know if we've got these director's cut versions on Netflix. Or if it's going to be the original, the original release, because to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever seen the director's cut versions of these. I, I think I've only seen the original, either. but yeah, all that, all the additional stuff is supposed to tie into the film version of of the endings. So you have, I guess, a little more to explain uh, what Sele is doing. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, what what is this secret organization really doing with the with their secret little clandestine experiments and things like that right and we get these interesting images in this in these film versions which then culminates in essentially the apocalypse sorry to spoil that much but <laughs> uh, I, 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 I promised myself I wasn't gonna spoil really anything from this show because it, it is a journey to go to but at least in the film version yeah it does kind of end with the apocalypse right. And what an apocalypse it is. It is such <laughs> yeah. a... Yeah. I, you know what? And for all you, you people listening, I am in the same boat as you because I do not remember all of this. And I... Because everything ended with the movie. And I've only seen... I remember a giant action sequence of them fighting the manufactured Evas or Angels, actually. And I don't remember what happened. I remember the, the final two that remain. I remember that. I wasn't expecting that. But... It was oh, it just it goes on a giant drug trip. I mean, I do remember some weird I, stuff. To explain it is would not do the thing justice, and calling it an apocalypse is the simplest way. Again, it it's not two thousand one, you know, Hall of Lights trippy. It's just kind of, I I guess nightmare fuel is is one way to call it. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's like a bad drug trip. Involving, uh, I'm saying too much already. No. <laughs> Just it, it's worth it is worth watching, but it's it works as a culmination of 
the series. Yeah. Once you get to the end. Whereas, again, the TV show episodes are a little bit more, like, in a character's mind. Where essentially a character's coming to grips with their to, with their reality and as they're being unmade. Uh, right. You know, coming, coming to terms with, with your existence while becoming something completely different. Whereas the movie is a little bit more of a visualized version of that. Plus, then more. Yeah, and, and and I will say this one thing: one of the things that the show did really well was was just giving you that experience of all these characters, and you know, Asuka. We were talking about this briefly before, but you know, her when she came onto the show, she was the total opposite of the other two characters, which was Reino, Ray, and Shinji. It, she just had this confidence, whereas the other two were lost, and she just brought life into the show. At that, at, at a perfect moment in the show, you know, as it was building up and kind of slow in many ways, and when she just came in, it just brought this new life, and from there, it just rocketed forward, and, and a lot of changes happened within the other characters as well. And uh, I, I'm up to nine episodes in myself, so I am once again looking forward to where this is going to go, you know, again, because it, it feels like it's all new to me. I'm almost like. You know, putting it out of my mind what I do remember and just trying to go into this fresh. You're experiencing it again for the first time. Exactly. Well, let's let's give them a little bit of, of what this story is. Uh, Evangelion is set in the far future of 2015. <laughs> Earth has finally started to recover from this catastrophic event called the Second Impact, where, at least as the the government, you know, quote-unquote government story is, is that a Meteor struck Antarctica, and then sea levels rose, and other global concerns happened, and we are now, kind of 15 years after this event, finally starting to get uh, ourselves back on track, and everything is kind of working, working the way things should, but we now have a new threat, which are these giant monsters called angels, and it's very, very lucky that we were preparing for these creatures because this paramilitary organization called Nerve has been building giant robots called Evangelion in order to fight them. The nerve of those guys. They seem to know things uh, that the rest of us really don't. Yeah, and that's that is one of the things about this show too is, you know, every episode you were just fed a little bit more of the mythology, you know, and then finally it starts coming at you heavy. But it, it, it very much an intriguing show. You're like, what, what is going on here? Because like you said, you know, just just happens to be we're preparing for all this stuff. Uh, you know, how's this possible? We're, we got all these giant uh, robots and, you know, all of a sudden, what were, you know, if you were a civilian and you're standing in the city and watching all this happening, watching the news, you, you would just think something of the military. Oh, they're taking care of it. But, you know, there's a deeper story to all this. And that's just so good. Yeah, and especially because there are many anime tropes that exist uh, in the franchise, like, like anything, really. But uh, one of the main tropes of this show is a thing called, uh, is a thing kind of thought of as Tokyo is the center of the universe. Because <laughs> yep. everything happens, well, technically Tokyo 3, the, the location of this is, is not where Tokyo was. It's close by because they rebuilt Tokyo I guess a second time we don't really under never get a Tokyo 2 as far as I call unless that is the Nerf headquarters but mm, Tokyo 3 is a new beautiful uh, metropolis that when they built it they built it so that it would sink into the ground 
any time a giant monster would show up. So, again, Nerve has information, as we learned that a lot of this is because they have, uh, you know, they've access to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there's other things that have kind of predicted what's going to happen in this time. So they, yes, they know this stuff, but there's a lot of, I don't want to say convenient things, but it's all... Everything is clandestine, you know, secret groups that have all the knowledge and are never working for the common person's goals. No. It's always about their ends, and Nerve is definitely a huge part of this. Even so much that there's like an episode where someone else is trying to build robots and the head of Nerve basically sabotages their entire project. You know, unbeknownst to uh, to some of our heroes who end up trying to stop the damn thing. Exactly. More spoilers. <laughs> yeah, well, let's be honest, that episode with the... Uh, with the runaway meltdowny uh, robot is that's kind of a throwaway. There are a few episodes in the series that if you excise them, you wouldn't really miss them. It's there's a few you know some things that yeah you get a little bit of character growth. There's an episode where Shinji you know runs away, and this happens a couple of times. He he gets to a point where he doesn't want to be a tool. So he escapes, and then someone kind of reminds him that he is a person and not a tool, and, you know, what are you really piloting this giant robot for? Mm-hmm. So that happens a lot, and you can, you know, you can keep one of those episodes. I'd probably say the one closer to the end of the series, because uh, that feels a little more earned than, I fought my second angel, I'm done with this shit, I'm running away. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of these character moments and things like that that the show builds on. And since we've already mentioned a couple of characters, why don't you uh, tell us who some of these people are that are that are our main cast? Johnny? Well, you have Shinji, who is kind of a recluse little boy. Um, he's the main character, I guess you could say, the one we're kind of introduced to in the beginning. He's very alone, very unsure of himself, not having experienced a lot of things as far as a social life. And that's one of the things like I was mentioning about that you experience with him as he as he goes on this journey to becoming a pilot of one of these. And it's not just by chance that he's a pilot, he actually was chosen by the leader of Nerve, who is his father. But uh, a, 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 a jerk that wants nothing to do with him, pretty much, except to use him for his own game. You're, you're being too kind calling him a jerk. Yeah. He's a dick. Okay. I mean, he, right, can we cuss on this show? Never. <laughs> oh, yo, God, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fuck that but motherfucker. But yeah, he is, he is terrible. He's and awful. the worst thing is, we see him basically not even seeing his son as a person. But then there's, you know, uh, when he, not the first introduction to Ray, but the first main Ray episode, we see all this kindness and love to this other person. That's not his son. <laughs> Correct. And, and you know what? Not to get too deep. Here's another reason why I, I you know, th- this show hits home for me in a lot of ways. I relate to Shinji the most because I, you know, didn't always have the best relationship with my father. Uh, it was kind of a cold one in, in many ways. So watching this show, I understood the emptiness and the loneliness that this character had. So, and this is a good testament of, of this show, how well it actually does to make you feel, you know, those things that he does. So it's not just a, you know, a fun visual show. It's, it's really deep. It's got a lot of meaning to it. And so his character 
is really important to me. I, I like it. You know, it's like if I had a dream as a kid, I'd be like, "Ooh, I don't want to be that guy." You know, and doing what he's doing. I remember watching the show for the first time, and just immediately being brought in, sucked in, and wanting to be him. You know, his triumph, uh, for just not only in his life, but just himself as a person. His fears, coming over those anxieties. That's what makes him a really special character in the show in general for me. And okay, so we got Shinji and Gendo Ikari. Who else? Who other characters do we have in this show? Well, we're going to talk about my favorite one, even though Shinji is technically my favorite. Uh, Asuka Langley Sorio. Is that how you say it? Sorio? Um, uh, Sorio, yeah. Asuka Langley Soyu. Known as the, the second child. And she was a German, which probably explains her fiery personality. But she's she's a half Japanese, or or no, she's not. What is she? She's yeah, she's half Japanese, half German. That's right. That's right. And uh, she is brought in to be. You know, she's the, another pilot of an Eva, an Eva number two, uh, and Shinji pilots Eva one, which is, I guess, for the visually. Uh, it's it's the one that if you've ever seen a picture for this show, Ava One is the uh, is the one that you've seen the weird kind of Godzilla monster looking. The purple thing. one. Yeah. <laughs> the purple Eva, and then the red Eva is Asuka. And then you have Ray, uh, who is the other pilot, uh, who's a she's she's like this withdrawn character. We never you you find out a lot about her as the series gets closer to the end. She is just this very quiet, reserved, and not exactly. I don't want to not trying to make this sound like she's flighty. She's just not really there. Right. She's kind of oblivious to a lot of things, and just it's like she's humaning for the first time. Sort of. Right. Well, I, I was trying to explain her without going into spoiler territory for her, because she is an important character. Very important. She does play a big pivotal role, not only as the series progresses, but especially in the uh, in the film. She is she is front and center. Yes. Yeah. And to go back to Asuka, she is a very good example of maybe not the best example, but a very good example of a Sundere character. Basically, uh, Sundere is it comes from two Japanese terms, uh, Sunsun, which uh, kind of means something like to turn away in disgust or aloof or things like that. And then Dere Dere, which kind of means love struck. Hmm. Basically, yeah. these are characters that kind of come off as the most aggressive, angry. They seem to hate what their eventual love interest would be. And especially in like Asuka's case, she's physically and verbally abusive to Shinji. Very much. But we also kind of start, we start kind of finding that they do have this hidden soft side. They're aggressive, but then also we find out, oh yeah, they actually do care about this person really yep. deeply, or they start to care about this person. And Asuka, we do see moments of that, but it's it's never brought to any kind of, uh, any real conclusion. This isn't that sort of show. This isn't about young pilots falling in love, right? No. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we have enough of yes, that in Gundam. Also, well, we also should point out all the pilots are like four, uh, 15-year-old kids. Yes. So so it would be kind of awkward uh, if, well, not really, because a, a lot of these shows are based around, you know, kids falling in love as this. But this does kind of have, I don't want to say a lot of sexual stuff, but there is like kids, you know, young, young kids with raging hormones. Yeah. Not not us being young kids with raging hormones or who should have raging hormones yet somehow don't. Exactly. It's it's done in a uh, it's it's definitely a tasteful way. It's 
it's just like living a young life. You will totally relate to it. It's it's good. We do also have Misato. Who, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. There's Misato is uh, what like not necessarily that she's like the head of operations at Nerve. She is you know commands a lot of the missions. She is also ends up becoming Shinji's guardian because. Of course, his father's a terrible person and doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. So she invites him into his home. But she is also... Uh, what What do you think would be the, the nicest nicest way to phrase this? Uh, she enjoys to push his buttons, I guess would be the way. Yeah. And But the show is... And while the, the term fan service a lot of time kind of apply uh, is applied to when there's like gratuitous panty shots or something like that. Or overly buxom women with gigantic you know these gigantic tits that are just you know flopping around and just overly gratuitous in that kind of nature she is also very much a fan servicey character mm-hmm. because there are quite a few moments that are just you know designed that it's like oh yeah we're looking at Shinji but we have Bisato's ass in our face yes or or the or, it, or tits are the are the focus of the shot yes it's she's a character that either knowingly or just ignorantly, you know, just showing her ass off and her cleavage and, and to, to a, you know, 14, 15 year old boy. Oh no. And it's, she knows she's doing it. <laughs> she knows that because, well, that's, that's how we in, are introduced to her. She's introduced by a photograph. She's like, Hey, I'll, I'll come meet you at, at this, this point in this time. And then it's like kind of, she's got a slightly bent over picture where she's, you know, like, like uh, doing like a, victory sign or something like that and there's a little note on the thing it's like check these out and pointing at her cleavage <laughs> so she's she is purposefully doing this because she knows it pushes his buttons yeah. but she's also part of it's trying to get him out of his shell that's true and she speaks of that to herself very often you know in the show like in her mind she she's worried about him a lot because she, she really cares yeah. for him she's like she's like a big sister but not really a big sister because then she wouldn't do what she does but she's she just knows that he needs it to, to become stronger. Yeah. She's, she's a good woman. She's a default parental figure to him. Correct. But because she's not a, a parental figure, she does, uh, again, same kind of like a big sister kind of thing, does fit a little bit. But yeah, other than overly flirty just because she can. Yep. Yep. So who else? Because I'm building up to my favorite character myself, but who other characters would you want to make mention of? Well, uh, really... These are the main ones that I that I like because again I'm only up to episode nine and I don't remember much of the series beyond this except for some bits and pieces flashing through my mind of things that I've seen from the final movies you know so so you know really the three that I don't want to say I'm not a big Ray fan I mean I like her she's interesting and an integral part of the story and she has a very cool look I find her to be a very interesting character but it, she's not my favorite of the show so and my favorite is Azuska. And then Shinji overall. Well, it's like especially at that time, Ray is not an interesting. Is that interesting of a character? She's kind of bland and boring. True. And it's it's as Ray kind of starts to open up, and that's especially partially because of she starts getting becoming more and more uh, close with Shinji, and Asuka, her being introduced, sort of is a catalyst for change as well. Mm-hmm. But. But you have also characters like uh, you have Ritsuko, the the main scientist in there. Who yeah, that's true. She's who is like she kind of seems like she's a secondary character, and then 
it again, having not seen as much of the series at this, you know, this juncture, she is kind of there for a lot of exposition-y type stuff, but her role starts to starts to become far more and more important. Also because as we start learning more and more about Nerve's clandestine nature, she is more integral to what's actually going on than than you previously think. Yep. And then you also have Shinji's friends. He, you know, he's <laughs> this insular kid, but then he ends up kind of making friends with uh, with two guys, uh, Ida and uh, Kaji. Uh, no, not Kaji. Kids. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because Kaji, Kaji is uh, Asuka's handler who shows up later on, and he's also kind of an important character who. No, he is. Ends up uh, Toji. Toji, that's it. Because and Toji plays a much bigger role than you would think than just being Shinji's friend, but that's all I will say about that. Yes, yes, I do remember that, where you're going, you going out with that one. Yeah, that episode is, an, is a hell of an episode. That we're uh, not going to talk about. <laughs> that we're not going to talk about, because we didn't, we didn't even watch it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no. We will watch, but not talk. The show's absolute best character, 100%, hands down, is Pen Pen. Pen Pen is a warm water penguin that lives in a special fridge in Misato's house. Yes. Yes. And he constantly looks disappointed at everything around him, and he drinks beer. Yep. It doesn't get much better than that. I forgot how much Pen Pen is actually in this show. For the most part, I thought he basically just kind of gets introduced, and then maybe like one or two appearances afterward, and that's about it. And I want to see if he's actually in it more than I remember. Yeah, because I've only seen him in a couple episodes so far. Yeah, he basically, we see his introduction, and then we see him contemplating whether he really wants to eat Misato's cooking. Because <laughs> yeah. Misato is not yeah, not her very good trait. at cooking. Yeah, it's a really good show. Yeah. The show does have a very good sense of humor. It does. I mean, one of the things I think is hilarious, and it's in the English dub only, is Shinji is forced to pilot his Unit 1 for the first time. This is first day at work, and his entire thing is, you're going to get in this giant robot and fight a giant monster. (laughs) So he gets in there, he's acclimatizing to this thing as much as one can, and they're underground when when this is happening. So they're going to launch him up to the surface, and... In the English dub only, this is where the the voice actor and his uh, kind of shrillness works so well. Is you see this giant robot shoot skyward, and the scream of terror <laughs> that comes from this guy's from this guy's mouth is so great because you know the second you're not a not gonna be prepared to be shot skyward in a giant robot, and b you're being shot skyward in a giant, giant robot. robot. Yeah. Even if you were prepared, people told you this was going to happen, and you had time to psych yourself up for it, you're not going to be prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but that's what's so good about it is like you just you live with this excitement. It's an exciting show. I don't know how to describe it. It's just it's a show where you just you feel what the characters feel, how they did it, you know, in the writing and the presentation and, and in the voice acting. I, I prefer subtitles myself, so I'm getting the true. The true emotional responses I feel. I always feel that's just lost when you do dubbing. Very rarely have I seen it work. But you just you feel what what these characters are going through and the excitement that they have and the happiness that they have. And even in just small little moments. You know, it's just it's it's great. And like you said and earlier with, with kind of how you related to Shinji, I do as well because like this is a show that's very much to go back to themes and stuff like that. This is a show that's 
also based around the you know a lot of anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And a lot of this kind of stems from uh, the director's real life struggles. But all these characters that we meet, with the exception of Pen Pen, because Pen Pen's awesome, and maybe Ida, because he seems to be very well adjusted for a person living in a post-apocalyptic world. (laughs) But uh, pretty much all these characters are emotionally scarred or broken in some way. Yes, they are. The very obvious one is Shinji and Rei, who are very much... uh, I, well, Shinji kind of seems very tortured by everything. He is he he's very he has a very hard time living. <laughs> <laughs> he does. But uh, but you have Asuka, who later on you you really discover a lot of her past and kind of why she is very uh, outgoing to an extent that is almost psychotic. I, I know you love her, but <laughs> she is she's nuts. Yeah, she is super jealous about everything. She like. She has a lot of we'll go we'll 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 kind of simplify it to abandonment issues because uh, there's there's a little more to it than that because Shinji has abandonment issues. Yeah, she has those to the next level. But you also have like Misato, who is this lively, energetic, fun character who is a total alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, you you, <laughs> you you can sit there and think, oh no, she likes she likes her beer. You know that that's that's a you know kind of a trope uh-huh. as well is characters who enjoy their alcohol but then you kind of start digging into her past a bit and you start seeing yeah she's actually using a lot of alcohol as a way to escape and you know it's there's a lot that's actually troubling her that's that's the thing is like again i'll go back to that quiet moment in the elevator there's a reason why these things actually exist it's not oh yes it's cost-cutting measures i'll say that again but it's also because you need these these moments where someone might just be watering a garden you know, yeah. it's a quiet moment. It's something where they're just contemplating something. Shinji lying in his bed listening to music. You know, he's staring at an unfamiliar ceiling. Yes, it's a static image, but there's there is purpose for it. It's, I, it's needed. There's a podcast I was on a while ago uh, where I was talking about the Twin Peaks show and kind of the excess of uh, some of these like these long shots where they're driving in the dark. And while I do feel that like, they could have been cut a bit. There is need for stuff like that, where it's just you setting tone. There's method to madness in a lot of these cases. And this is a show that knows when to use those long pauses. It's not necessarily padding. I mean, hell, they have an episode that is 100% padding, (laughs) where they, yeah, I think it's like episode 14, where half of the episode is basically just a recap of the previous 13 episodes. Yeah, I always always hated those in any kind of genre of TV or, or anything. (laughs) <laughs> hey, remember that one time? Oh, yeah, I'm it, saving money. it's a clip show, but at the same time, there is some purpose because it's at the end of the day, it does continue plot lines that are that are going around in the background, as opposed to you know we're not we're not checking in with Shinji this week. We're we're dealing with with our, with Gendo and his assistant and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. every now and then, we do kind of need to know what the real story is. Yeah, I. Uh... I personally think that the little things you're talking about, those are what really kind of make the show. And any time there's a, a, a show or a TV show or anime or anything like that that has those little moments like that, those are moments that let you kind of breathe, kind of take in, let you process. And the, I think that's the, the shows that are the deepest, the most heartfelt, that you know are the most loved by fans are usually shows that have those kind of things in them. 
and that's from from like a filmmaking standpoint that I would say that it really kind of stands out from other animes. It just it just gives you those moments to feel, you know, and and what these characters are feeling. And again, I just I keep using that word feel, but that's what this show to me is. You know, you just you're feeling these characters, and that's important for me as a person, as an individual. I like to be, have a connection with the people that I love in life, and these are characters that you grow to love through the show. Yeah, and that's a big thing about a lot, you know, a lot of anime. The ones that really stick are the ones that have characters that you truly care about. Yeah. Or they're just visually interesting. I mean, I I know a lot of people love the characters of Dragon Ball Z, but they aren't necessarily... There's lovable characters, but there's not a lot of depth to a lot of it. No, exactly. But something like this or the original Bubblegum Crisis, uh, there's a lot of character building in... uh, Especially in a short time, because also to kind of, like, to give Dragon Ball Z credit they do at least build on characters so there are some that are a little more three-dimensional than others some we just you know we love goku because he's a because a lovable goofball who you know always just wants to fight the next you know next toughest person but the more interesting character is say someone more like uh videl or gohan who Mm -hmm. actually seem to have lives outside of this right i mean vegeta is a little more of a one-note character he does grow but he's still i'm the tough i want to be the toughest i need to beat my rival whereas you know you get some of these later characters that seem to be a little more a little more interesting exactly when they have you know they got there's their stakes outside of their just normal presence you know again like those guys you just they're just there to be tough guys and fight and that's their that's all they want to do but you know like somebody like gohan for instance especially in the later versions like in Dragon Ball Super and all that, you know, is that they have families and things and I mean so does Goku and Vegeta, they all do at this point, but it's just it, it's I was I, that's one thing I will say, it, not to get too far off Evangelion, but like with Dragon Ball, that's a show that's evolved as well a lot into having a more deeper meaning. I don't know if you've seen any of the Super uh, episodes, which I find very intriguing. I love Super, it's my favorite of all of them. I've never been a huge Dragon Ball Z fan, but I've always liked it. And I think the newer version of it is the best so far. Haven't stepped into that one yet, but eventually, probably when it's collected on on a streaming service, I might might finally dip into it. You know, this I don't know much more to say on Evangelion because I haven't gone too too much farther into it other than episode nine. But it's a really good show. Yeah, it is a deeper show than a lot of people would give it credit for, at least at first glance. Again, I, part of me thinks that it was the dub that kind of held it back, and if it was only released as a subtitled product, I think, even at the time, because at the time it was huge. Like, this was something that the second it dropped, and I mean, I'm talking like, I was new to anime at that time, and the second it dropped, it was, you know, the talk, you know, the talk of everybody. Yeah. Have you seen this thing? Yeah. Because it, it just surprised the hell out of everybody. But it's like, I think... Anyone who would have just like seen someone watch the dub would have immediately just kind of turned away because you know it's mid '90s dubbing, and that was never never the best. Even at the show's best, it wasn't the best. Yes, and the show has some great acting in it too. It's just this is something that once it drops on Netflix, I really I really want to. Well, I know Netflix will never give out the numbers, but I'm very curious to see how much this show gets watched i i want to know like the new fan you know like new people stepping into this how are they going to react i didn't give it much thought before but you know it really hasn't it's never had any kind of broadcasting it's it's always just been 
kind of an underground success cult following well, for the show, well, really. Did, they, they did have some of it on, on uh, I don't know if it was adults. Well, had to have been adults when they I really doubt they would have shown it on uh, Cartoon Network, but they I did. They did play it, it a little bit. I it was like a very. I don't know. If, I don't know if they actually even did the entire series or not, but they. I know that apparently some of it ran at least on on one of those uh, channels at some point. Hmm. But even then, yeah, it's like how many people really watched that, and it's like I know. I know their anime block has viewership, but it, it is also. I'm curious how much actually gets watched for versus you know them just kind of filling a time slot right you know and, and netflix is really going to be where it has its chance to shine and, and a lot of new people to watch it and see it because you know you can watch it at your leisure not you know not on a time schedule of a television company so it's i think it's great i'm very excited when i found out it was coming because i had been wanting to revisit it for a long time so it's one of those shows again i don't remember a lot of it especially realizing how much i don't remember now but it's oh it sticks with you you know and and at least for people who have seen it casually in the past again that's the difference between you and i you've always been hardcore i'm very casual and this is a, a very special show to me well, then that's the thing. As I said, with the philosophical angle of it, every time I watch it, I always find something new about it. And it does make you think. And it is a very deep, thoughtful show. And that's, you know, in a way, well, there's a lot of disposable entertainment out there. And this manages to give you, you know, give you spectacle, but also, like, the time to actually think about things and make you question stuff, or at least hopefully question stuff. Yep. We might check in uh, sometime after Ava drops and then go, okay, let's let's finish the series. What happens? What you know? What the hell is that ending? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, on that note, listeners, this is John. Thank you for listening. This is Johnny Funami. Adios, my friends. Have a good one. See you.